Attention listeners, ahead are spoilers. Calling all movie trap, calling all movie trap. This is the movie trap. And I am Russell Carlson. Welcome to the movie trap. And with me as always, my host, Chris Boroff. Go suck an egg. <laughs> and also with me, Zach Powers. You know, Tracy, I kind of like that dame. <laughs> um, welcome. We are in round three of Borov's pick of failed franchises. If you don't know the show, we at the Movie Trap, each of us three hosts, pick a movie based on a single theme. Each of us, once we've watched all three movies, get to vote on that theme with an allocated amount of 10 points to start out with, plus some bonus points that go on in the end um, throughout the episode. And by the end of the three movies, which the episode you are on today, we will vote. And whoever's host's movie wins the point total gets to pick the next theme. So previously on the movie trap, we were in round two of failed franchises for Chris Boroff. I chose uh, the uh, (laughs) very strange and odd movie, Howard the Duck. And this week, round three goes to Zach Powers and he has chosen 1990s Dick Tracy. And here we are today with Warren Beatty's Dick Tracy. But before we get down, let's get to the desk job business before we get out in the streets. What do you say? Uh, As of now, for votes, for points for final voting, Chris Boroff, you have 12 points with one more bonus point to give out. Uh, I have 12 points to give out with one more bonus point to give out. And spoiler alert, it's the same. Zach Powers has 12 points with one more bonus point to give out. So we are equal across the board. I think for the first time uh, ever. Maybe ever, yeah, very egalitarian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How, how about this? Well, I mean, if, if we really think about it, failed franchises can and has led to just pain. Um, but sure. not this yeah. movie, I would say. I, w- I would say not this is, I mean, I think uh, it, it gripes me a little bit that I think Zach's probably going to win this one and, and run away with it. Um, See, and I'll th- get into that th- I later. I don't think in a regular round, this movie would be good enough to win. But in this round, it probably yeah. is. Yeah. I, I, I mentioned this last episode. I did not choose a ringer. This was my choice before Russell even announced his, because okay. I think this movie's kind of got a fascinating backstory. Sure, um, but and, and I'll get into the I'll get into the yeah. the, the fringes of the theme. Uh, as far as failed franchises in regards to this movie. But before we do that, Zach Powers, why don't you strap on your radio watch and communicate to us, what is Dick Tracy? Dick Tracy is a 1999 uh, crime film, I suppose, based on a (laughs) 1930s comic strip. Um, It was produced, directed, stars Warren Beatty, uh, along with Madonna, Al Pacino, Charlie Corsmo. Um, It is the story of... cast of thousands. Indeed. Uh, A lot of big names in small parts. Um, uh, It begins in the 1930s. it's sort of, uh, for those who don't know Dick Tracy, sort of loosely based on Elliot Ness and his pursuit of uh, Al Capone. So it's the 1930s, and uh, it's probably Chicago or Chicago-ish. I think that's where Dick Tracy does take place, though this might be like a fictional pastiche city. Um, and the mob has control of the streets. In particular, um, Al Pacino as big boy Caprice has been uh, taking over the corners, killing rival gangs and uh, fastening his grip around the crime in the city. Uh, Meanwhile, Dick Tracy, uh, enemy to all mobsters and and crime, uh, catches a young pickpocket, um, you know, trying to steal his his change, and eventually, with the help of his girlfriend, Tess Trueheart, takes the kid in for a limited amount of time. Um, Big boy, who's uh, killing all of his rivals, kills a a fellow crime lord named Lips by uh, dumping him into a huge box full of cement and dropping it in the ocean um, and takes over his... Giving him the bath. Going for a bath. bath. Yeah, going for a bath. And uh, in the process of killing him, he takes over both his club and his girlfriend, Breathless Mahoney. 
Um, so Tracy is, uh, spent some time interrogating them and ultimately gets to the club where Breathless refused to give him the information despite witnessing the murder, but does try to seduce him. Um, so big boy trying to become the kingpin of the city brings in all of the other uh, uh, criminals, all of whom have varying degrees of prosthesis all over their face uh, to make them look like the cartoon characters from the 1930s comic. Um, and attempts to say, listen, I'm the big kingpin. All the rest of you guys work for me. Take it or leave it. One guy doesn't. His car gets bombed, which Tracy sees, but is, again, unable to pin directly on uh, Big Boy. Uh, Big Boy then kidnaps Tracy, realizing he's his only weakness and attempts to bribe him into getting into his payroll. Tracy refuses stupidly because he should just pretend to accept the bribe in this situation. He's literally tied to a chair in the bottom of a warehouse. Um, so you could literally are, report it and say, hey, I just got bribed. Here's the money. You know, put that in yeah, as evidence. Yeah, you know, like, say, anyway. oh, yeah, sure. I'll take it. Yeah, what do you think right, they're going to yeah. do? They try uh, to uh, kill I'm him, just going to run to the office real quick. Uh, yeah, yeah. But I mean, in that film's defense, it's also not a film that has any like subterfuge or subtext as far as Dick Tracy's concerned. He's so clear about no. what he's thinking at all times uh, that having any degree of like ambiguity will, as to how hard he goes against crime would go against the mantra of the whole yeah. show. He doesn't have like a personal motivation so much as he's a cop. Like that's yeah. he's just a cop. Doesn't like crime. Not yeah. a lot of nuance in this whole movie. Yeah. Uh, so they try to kill they try to kill him after he refuses the bride because obviously that's what they're gonna do but the kid comes by and saves him and becomes an honorary police detective um, after breathless uh, again tries to seduce him uh, Trueheart uh, sees them kiss and leaves town um, at which point uh, there is a raid on uh, big boys properties but uh, Big Boy captures one of the officers in the raid. There's a setup at a warehouse, the same one where they killed Lips earlier in the movie. And uh, Tracy is saved by a character called The Blank, who has no face and a weird-ass voice. Um, The Blank initially uh, attempts to to work with Tracy, but uh, it doesn't quite work out. The Blank uh, then... um, goes ahead and tries to take down Tracy with the help of Big Boy, who still doesn't like the blank because the blank killed some of his guys. But successfully, the blank uh, frames Tracy for um, the murder of a corrupt DA, I think it was. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, At this point, um, Big Boy, uh, with, uh, with Tracy out of the way, uh, has uh, the world at his feet, more or less. Um, uh, and eventually, however, gets framed for kidnapping Tess Trueheart uh, and uh, eventually gets out on bail. Tracy also gets out, interrogates Dustin Hoffman as Mumbles to get the information on Big Boy's whereabouts and the club and all this shit. Uh, and there's a huge gun battle uh, where almost all of Big Boy's men are killed. Uh, Big Boy flees to, like, a uh, clock tower or something, and mm-hmm. uh, where he plans It's like a to... drawbridge. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Where he plans to uh, uh, crush tr- Tess Trueheart in between the gears, but the blank appears, holds them both at gunpoint, um, and offers Tracy to take over the city once Big Boy is dead. Uh, Big Boy manages to... Uh, fire on the blank when she gets distracted by the kid um and then uh tracy manages to send big boy falling into the gears of the bridge killing him presumably the blank dying is unmasked to have been breathless the whole time uh tracy is a free man all the charges are dropped as the the truth rings out the kid now dick tracy jr is adopted by tracy and tess uh, and they presumably have a life of adventure, stopping even more crime. That's basically the plot of Dick Tracy. It's kind of a kind of a messy one, I feel like, but uh, that's what it is. Yeah, the uh, the breathless character, I think, had more of an arc uh, to her character than Dick Tracy did. There was a lot more going on with Breathless that 
added See, uh, deeper questions. Uh, yeah. And, you know, it also has the very obvious, like, breathless, faceless. They're both the same character. So, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I It's also, I, I, I don't know about more of an arc. I mean, it's it, the problem with this movie is that, uh, you know, when it came out in the 90s, everybody compared it to Batman. In fact, that's why Disney signed off to make this movie, because this was supposed to be their Batman. But um, I mean, it had Danny Elfman doing and music I'm, and everything. Uh, yeah, and and it sounds that sounds a little Some familiar, doesn't it? Um, yeah, um, yep. yeah. The, the theme uh... song of, um, but yeah, they they compared it a lot to Batman and saying that Batman's you know like psychological trauma was at the forefront of the Burton movie. And you know, uh, you, there's a lot of things about the Burton movie, but I would not say that that is in the forefront. Um, now, I will say Dick Tracy has almost no humanity. There is nothing there. He is. Sure. And, and it, it, but there's not like there's anything that there's not much there to breathless. There's not much there to to big boy. They're 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 all caricatures. Sure. These aren't really. I mean, the other the other thing is obviously I feel like um, there's that scene in Batman where Jack Nicholson's Joker has the fa his face painted to make him look like flesh toned, but he still has that huge smile. He would not be out of place among the rogues mm. in this movie, yeah. right? Sure. Uh, sure. We we barely alighted on it, but every villain character in this movie has insane face makeup uh, yeah, for sure. to make them look like these caricatures the from the comics. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and Beatty even considered doing it for Tracy himself, but ultimately abandoned the idea. I mean, it yeah, looks like it looks like mug. all of it looks like all of their budget was just worn on faces of the actors in this movie. Like we. It's really strange because you brought up the makeup thing. And like later, we've seen things where people do this sort of stuff. Well, I mean, we watched Border and that was extreme makeup, but it was sort of implied by that story. But even if you go to something like Sin City, right, where it's a similar like stylized story, everybody looked like people except for Marv, who was the only one who had like a very specific cut look of his face. So no. Mickey Rourke had that stuff on his the face. Nick Stahl kind of, character, the sure. yellow yeah. bastard. But they well, were all done in a way that was like more acceptable in context with the rest of that world. Like in this one, these guys look like monsters that just popped into the movie. It's sure, really strange. But I, I think that that's actually a perfectly good. I think the comparison to Sin City is ex like even in Sin City, there's stylistic flourishes like the glowing glasses and and what they're doing really very much so is recreating frames from the comic. And in this, that is what they're doing. Like they have these matte paintings. They have these weird lighting choices. Beatty specifically limited his color palette to seven colors, the same seven colors used in the comic strip. So why the reason this movie is so strange and colorful is it's intentionally like recreating frame for frame those panels, including making these characters, these weird, weird monsters. And indeed, in Sin City, there's also that guy, the yellow monster, who's like, yeah, yeah, the yellow yeah. bastard. Yeah, but, but yeah. also but would... it's not just just Beatty. I mean, he also had Vittoria Sator. I mean, like one of the legendary cinematographers of the era um, who sure. knew how to do really. So what he did with that color palette is really make it look black and white as well. I mean, the way there's sharp edges, everything's really noiristic. It's he's doing it in black and white, but it's these splashes of, of color. Um, it, it's a taste thing. You know, I think in the, it, it, you know, when you consider the 90s is all like this dark edgelord sort of shit you know like all the burton stuff and and that kind of and the it's it's kind of refreshing that that this movie exists but um I, before we get any further to this i do want to get to the meat of my gripe with this movie being chose as a failed franchise um but i'm going to read through my thought process and come to the conclusion that i'll allow it because uh, is this really a failed franchise? It was massively successful. Massively successful. It made a lot of money. There were McDonald's toys. There were Mattel toys. There was uh, the you could buy the talking watch. I remember because I bought them because I loved this movie as a kid. I was the exact target demographic for this fucking movie and it landed. Um, I loved this movie. I loved the soundtrack. I loved the costumes. I loved all the gangster bad guy stuff. I bought all the toys. I was a huge, huge fucking fan. So... I mean, it, it doubled its money. I mean, the reason why Disney let go of it is because it wasn't as successful as Batman. So, I mean, is it a failed franchise or is it just not as successful as it could be? However, they want, I mean, however, I'm, I'm not you, done. I'm going to give you a definition here. They I, wanted I, to make this into a franchise 
And then they didn't. Okay, well... Like, that was explicitly the plan. Explicitly the plan by Katzenberg and Eisner was like, this will be our franchise. A flagstone franchise for Disney. And it was. That's a failed franchise. Well, and that's why... And and the reason why I'm I'm allowing it is because, you know, when we go back to when Boref announced the theme of failed franchises, he... His uh, impetus for it, if you will, was Master and Commander. Now, Master and Commander did pretty well at the box office, but as he said, it was completely swept at the Oscars. Dick Tracy won some Oscars. Sure. Um, not not all the Oscars it was nominated for, but it did win some pretty good one, big, big Oscars for some pretty big name people. Um, yeah, production so, design and song and shit okay, like that. but yeah. still, it's, but it's still I mean, Steven with, Soundheim. I mean, like to, that's not to, no, you know sure. that. To, um, to the to Zach's so point, anyway, though, to it, go back it on didn't that. lead to more movies. So it's like there were there are other films where they threw tons of money at it. Correct. Like we're, we'll get into that later as okay. far as the, okay. what planned sequels will go. But I also want to say the reason why I'll allow it is because, let's face it, this movie's largely forgotten in American culture and zeitgeist. Nobody thinks of this fucking movie all that much anymore. Like, no, nobody really yeah. even gives it a second thought. It doesn't nearly have the cultural cachet of, like, Beetlejuice or or or, um, or even other weird things. Like, even uh, uh, Drop Dead Fred, are, you know, I, mean, I think it's... has more of a cachet than... But I mean, I think there's a reason for that. It's it's almost completely humorless. Like it's 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 such a dry take know, on this story. Mum, he he might he might be funny. He's on screen for like I think two minutes, and this movie's almost two hours long. So it's one of those things where it's like <laughs> he he makes an impression, but man, there's a whole lot of bread around that sandwich you got to get through. Well. This, this movie, I think part of the problem there is the identity of this movie, what it wanted to be, I think, is not always certain. And part of that is because how this movie was developed. Like, Disney was originally going to release this under the Walt Disney name. And they saw it and it was like, no, this is, we have to do it under Buena Vista. There's too much adult shit for yeah. us to release this under, like, yeah. the Disney brand. <laughs> People being shot, people like being too horny when they walk into scenes. Yeah, Yeah. it's it's a whole thing. And let's be real. Part of that's Warren Beatty. I mean, part of that Warren Beatty kind of he's the one who bought the fucking rights to Dick Tracy. Um, Right. Which is the one who that's part of the backstory. Yeah. So, I mean, like part of that part of that is Warren Beatty. So, like a part of another reason why I think that Warren Beatty never intended to make a sequel that he was going to throw everything at this movie and be done with it because he threw in almost every single character in the Dick Tracy canon. All the other previous developments of Dick Tracy were Dick Tracy versus Flattop or Dick Tracy versus The Blank or 50 Dick Tracy versus 88 Keys. Like they were all specific to one guy because that's what the model for comic book movies was. But I Beatty threw everything at it. Um, the whole poker game at the beginning, those are all... Dick Tracy characters. Those are all straight from the comic books and he wipes them out in, you know, two minutes. So I think well, Warren Beatty never actually, whether Disney or not wanted this to be a franchise, I very much guarantee I don't think Warren Beatty ever intended to make a sequel and I still don't think he does. Well, whether or not I'll, I'll say two things on the subject. One, according to Beatty, in both June of 2011 and April of 2016, he was thinking about making a sequel still Still, at those times, he has constantly said he is willing to make a sequel to this movie. And uh, additionally, if he didn't want to make a sequel, if we there's a little thing, Camp 2008. It aired once on TCM. It's called the Dick Tracy Special. It's just Dick Tracy talking to fucking Leonard Moulton. Do you know why that was produced? I do. Because the rights to Dick Tracy were going to lapse, and Warren Beatty's like, if I make this, I can keep them. So now that's pretty much so. It. So desperate to keep the rights. If he's not going to do yes. anything with them, why the fuck bother? Wait, wait. How long Precisely. after the movie was that? When you guys sent me that link, I assumed it was to promote the movie. What? No. Oh, no. What? This is totally... This was a ploy because D- Warren Beatty was in a legal dispute with the Tribune company who was the original uh, licensor for Dick Tracy way back in the day when Warren Beatty bought it. Now, there was a con- there was a clause in that contract that... In order for Beatty to maintain his control of the rights, he had to yeah, yeah. keep pursuing to make more avenues. So it never yeah, happened. And it never happened. And it never happened. Yeah, yeah. Right. So yeah, yeah. it went it's... all the way to court. And then Warren Beatty makes this bullshit with Leonard Balton. And the judge says, well, that's enough to prove he wants to make a sequel. 
And I'm like, what? That proves he's not going to make a sequel. This is My him God. just rubbing his face in it. This is, no, I mean, like, even God. It, if you have a chance, it's on YouTube. Watch it because it is equal parts informative of the history of Dick Tracy, but it's also very cringeworthy. It is saying something when Leonard Maltin has more of a comedic presence than Warren Beatty does. I mean, like, it is, Let's, it is cringeworthy. I, we're talking about the behind the scenes of this thing. Let's talk about it for just a little bit and, and how this how this came to be because it was not always going to be at Disney. Um, it was going to be, uh, I believe at Paramount. Right. And they began, they offered so many people this movie before Lauren Beatty ever got a peek at it. Uh, they offered it. This is like the early eighties. They're offering it to like Steven Spielberg um, for a minute. Martin John Scorsese. Landis, John Landis was going to direct. And then something happened Whoops. on the set of the twilight zone and he uh, got bumped for reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, they they passed it all around to all of these different directors. Like, uh, eventually Walter Hill came on board, and he was the one who brought in Warren Beatty, and they had a disagreement. Walter Hill's like, I want this to be a realistic ass movie, and Warren Beatty wants it wanted to be like this. And Somebody so having Hill a disagreement walks. with Warren Beatty, I won't hear of it. Um, yeah. So Walter uh, Hill walks. I'm not. Uh, let me let me finish this like real quick back back background thing. Walter Hill walks and they go on so long that Paramount loses the fucking rights and they lapse. So Warren Beatty personally comes in, buys the rights, goes over to Eisenberg and, uh, and uh, Katzenberg and is like, we can make this thing. They consider bringing in Martin fucking Scorsese to do it initially. Uh, that obviously doesn't happen. Beatty passes it all over town to the Coens, to Sam Raimi, to everybody. No one wants to do it. So he's like, fuck it. I'll do it myself. Fuck it, we'll do it live, is what he says. <laughs> yeah, right. Yep, yep. Uh, uh, but super over budget. Was was but, Breathless yeah, that's, or always, and, always Madonna? Well, he was dating Madonna at the time the movie was made and came out. Okay. Yeah. This was, Warren Beatty famously, like, slept with everybody in Hollywood. A year after this movie came out, he met Annette Bening, and they've been married ever since. So Madonna was yeah, kind of his Bugsy. last rodeo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's why I, I Warren Beatty. But Warren Beatty bought the rights because he wanted to play Dick Tracy. I mean, that was yeah. it was more important to him for to sure. play Dick Tracy than it was for him to direct. Um, but Warren Beatty's always kind of since you know uh, he's one of those actors who anyway uh, he he thinks a lot of his own vision and I, and, and for what it's worth for Dick Tracy it works in this movie because he's leaning into 1930s tropes of gangster movies and musicals. That's what this movie is basically cribbing off of throughout, uh, down to the shallowness of each of the caricatures. Um, the nice part about Warren Beatty is he was friends with everybody. So everybody, you know, like Dustin Hoffman pretty much only worked on this because they worked on Ishtar together. And I guess they have a bond of, kind of hating that movie um which i think that movie well, gets a I, bad rap um, i think those dudes were also party pals back in the day yeah. like they were sure. uh, sure. uh they were carousing and hitting up women at the same time and things like that so yeah, yeah. but sure. this oh I'll, I'll, i want to say one other behind the scenes effect of this movie after this happened and this was like disney was in a bad place this was before the disney renaissance they didn't have a big franchise they were hoping this would be it after this came out didn't really work out for them the marketing was too much Oh, ultimately, like it didn't come out to the amount of money they wanted. So Katzenberg puts out this memo where he makes two predictions. One, we should step away from blockbusters. That obviously didn't end up happening. But two, we can't gamble on artists that have like all these visions. We need more studio control over what we produce. And that part absolutely fucking happened. Yeah. Very well, true. Well, uh, except for Star Wars, <laughs> the one that just happened. Nobody was in charge of that particular ship. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just make movies that talk at each other. Um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, yeah. I and and for what it's worth, I think that you know the even though it is, they are just caricatures. Um, I, I think they're all done pretty well. I, I, you know, Al Pacino stands out. He was nominated, sure, and this is this is sort up. of bef- appropriate. Yeah, but this is before the era of where he sort of becomes that all the time. This is like right at the beginning um, where he played that. And I think he had. A, it looks like he had a lot of fun with it. Um, one person who I think 
didn't have a good time doing it, it seems, was Warren Beatty, because <laughs> it just doesn't look like he is just joyless. And and I understand that's that's his read on the character, but like that's not a very fun character to watch. Yeah, um yeah. you know, like it's yeah. it's not I I, I'm not going to say Dick that, that is indeed Dick Tracy is indeed in many ways the most boring part of his own movie. Yeah, but there, there's yeah. a way you can make that work. I mean, they try, you know, well, with, I mean, like, the he, whole love triangle has, with Breathless and Chess. And, I mean, the thing is, is he has some pretty serious dad energy in this. Like, I know that, like, he's there's a lot of tough guys that get to later career, like Charles Bronson and things like that. Where you're like, all right, I can accept that, like, Terrence Stamp would still punch me in the face if I showed up. Um, Warren Beatty doesn't seem threatening in that way, which I think is probably why he was so successful with women for so long. However, um, sitting in this movie as an audience member, even knowing that Madonna and Warren Beatty were seeing each other at the time this was happening, I can't help but be severely creeped out by all the sexy scenes involving Madonna and Warren Beatty because it is incredibly uncomfortable as I get closer to Warren Beatty's age and further away from Madonna's age the concept of those two being in a couple situation is extra creepy because there's so many years apart um but I would like to also just say like no question. The, what did you guys think about the tonal shifts involving Madonna's character because like everything seems like it's a fairly run and gun shoot 'em up and then when Madonna's character comes in, the dialogue and the presentation suddenly changes to be real lascivious, but not in like the sultry yeah. way, in like the very direct, like single entendre way, where it's like she walks, I think she walked in from the <laughs> water or the rain at one point, and it was either hot outside or rainy outside. The first part. And her whole thing when she walks first, in that made me want to nope out of the scene was she opens the door and she says something like, I'm dripping or something like that. Aren't you going to let me in? And I was like, oh, come on, guys. There's better it's ways to... It's ice cream and it's going to melt. Yeah, yeah it's something ice cream like and that. it's going to melt. The first, prior Ugh. to her showing up, the only thing I could think of was um, he's got this Tess Trueheart. He's got this kid he's adopting. And all I could think about was that scene and Barton Fink where he's like a dame a kid a dame a kid a dame and a kid <laughs> like yeah, that's all I can that. think about for the first great movie which is uh, good I mean, I mean I guess it makes sense this is a 1930s like send off sure. way like mm -hmm. there is a throwback sensibility to it but you're right the the stuff with uh, Breathless is, is it would not fly probably in that era, era uh, in the same way I don't think it would fly right. in the current well, era well, it wouldn't fly in this era, but the, I mean, I don't know. I mean, if we're talking pre-Hayes code, pre -Hayes they code, were pretty, I, guess, yeah. I mean, like they, they were pretty racy at times, but you know, in the twenties and such, but like, and, and in a way, Dick Tracy is sort of hearkening back to those times, the, the character, well, the, the comic book itself. So like, even in the thirties, it's still kind of looking towards an era that's not really around anymore, which is the prohibition era. I mean, um, I guess that so, makes sense, but I'm comparing it to things like Babyface. Like, I think Babyface is a great example of like pre-Hays pre sure. Code where it's, it's sexy and the lady had a lot of um, personal agency in her sexual choices. Mm. which was something completely unusual for that time period. So when you see someone like Breathless, who essentially isn't really... She's like the dumbed-down version of what that character was doing, but without mm. any of the backstory or any of the like cause for, you know, using men. The, there was Let no me, Nietzsche quote in this. Yeah, okay, there you go. Um, <laughs> somebody saw that Barbara Sandwick film. Um, the... Uh, um, John Wayne's first movie. Anyway, um, the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, does it let me ask you guys a question does that soften it a little bit knowing it's Madonna herself that like a woman in the late 80s who invited controversy and invited sort of like exhibitionism and that kind of thing does that does that soften it a little bit for you considering well, she it's Madonna this, she actually wanted this role she got paid scale for this because she wanted yeah, the role amazing? so badly yeah yeah. So still, yeah. still like what third in the credits still and you know, yeah yeah uh, yeah so I, I mean I, I, uh, go ahead I can understand that I mean it it definitely played to the uh, presentation she had publicly at the time of being kind of a sex pot and things like that and she's tried to keep that going as long as possible but mm. uh, it, there's just a way in which it plays versus what we saw on screen like it seemed a, a little uh, less. Uh, charismatic and more like let's get it on right now 
I agree. So it didn't, it didn't really have right. the presence. I mean, and to be fair, among almost everybody, uh, one of the people that um, this uh, this treated the best is probably Madonna, because on her tie-in album for this movie, she wrote Vogue, which was like a pretty big hit for her. Like she had a she had literally an album called I'm Breathless, and that's where the song Vogue comes from. <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, yeah. yeah, and that's why I, I you know it's it it kind of and that's it, even the same thing with with Al Pacino playing Big Boy and how big he is, you know, and how over the top he is all the time. You know, with Al Pacino, it it, it kind of works because he's got that that energy and that instantly recognizable howl. Um, and and it, it works because he's so twitchy all the time in this movie and and even the way Dustin Hoffman as brief as it is like it, it, to go to make mumbles what mumbles is because I mean in the comic book it's just like a question mark it just that's that's all it says it doesn't it just question yeah. mark um, so for for Dustin Hoffman to sort of create a a, a sound like mumbles. Uh, it's pretty cool, and and Dustin Hoffman again, even he's barely in it. Basically, did it as a favor to Warren Beatty, but still like delivers. Uh, yeah. That's some, even even Jim, that, James Con, you know, who, sure. who really small part in here, but really really like you remember it. Like, well, that's, then it don't wake. This mm-hmm. this and the, I, I mean to me the most impressive poll because this man, like uh, so Stephen Sondheim, debatably the greatest musical theater writer in the history of time, possibly, probably almost certainly the 20th century. Don't give me that Andrew Lloyd Webber shit. He's an asshole. Um, <laughs> telling me cats is good. Come on. Um, but uh, but uh, this guy, he did two fucking movies like that weren't like people adapted his movies and all his plays into movies all the time. West Side Story and uh, Into the Woods and all that shit. But in terms of doing original stuff for movies, he did it two times. He made a song for Reds, which Warren Beatty <laughs> directed, and he did five songs for this, and that's it. It's the only time he ever made original music for movies, and I can't believe that Warren Beatty was, like, the one guy who got him to do this shit. Uh, Warren that's... Beatty had a lot of credibility in town for a long time. I mean, he still does, but it's just sure. you never see to, him. Like, I've and, heard stories of he... seeing him live, like, when he just appears at parties and people get really excited still because it's like, oh, my God, it's Warren Beatty. We haven't seen him in years. And it's got that sort of, like, thing that leads into the room. It's so uh, strange. Because yeah. I feel like he he made, he took years off between movies. And now I feel like as a Hollywood icon of that era... I, I feel like he's one of the more forgettable ones. Like, I doubt most kids know who the fuck Warren Beatty is, but they know who Harrison yeah. Ford is, Jack Nicholson. Guys, yeah. guys, we watched the Parallax View, and we literally determined that none of you have seen many Warren Beatty films. Yeah, We've yeah, already yeah. gone through that. Like, it yeah, I mean, I, Miller, I'm definitely, like, I'm more of a Shirley MacLaine stan than anything else. Yeah, yeah. Okay, of that's the, fair of enough. the groups, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, Bonnie and Clyde, anyway. Um, he... <laughs> Warren Beatty, I don't know. I'm, I'm a, I, I kind of can go both ways with Warren Beatty. Like I, I'm, I sort of think he's overrated in many respects. I'm, I'm not really a fan. I mean, even in this movie, I think, I think what I like about this movie is the achievement of his vision and the uh, circus of characters that he's managed to wrangle into one movie um, mm-hmm. with the performances and clearly him his cachet in hollywood works because he got fucking everybody in this movie um and that's why i it's it's this is probably his best film is the problem (laughs) you know as far as warren Beatty directing i i would say this is probably his best film the the movie that came immediately after was bugsy and bugsy now it's about a real guy bugsy siegel um and that movie is okay but it, it, it sort of the problem with Warren Beatty playing him is, you know, like Bugsy Woods kind of crazy and kind of nuts. And, and you only saw flashes of that in the movie. And I don't think Warren Beatty's quite got the range. Yeah, that I, I, think. I think the thing about this movie is if this let's reimagine a world where Warren Beatty, like the things that one we mentioned, best original song, I think it won best production design and best makeup. So those were the weird swings stylistically that Beatty decided to make this movie. Let's imagine an alternate universe where he made it more realistic. They filmed on location in Chicago. They considered doing that. 
They don't have like these weird colors and these matte paintings. All the gangsters just look like fucking, it's Al Pacino. It's not Al Pacino with a big ass goofy chin. It's just Al Pacino. This movie would be, if anything, in that situation, more forgotten, I would imagine. Like, I think the things about this movie that are memorable and that make it so you kind of can't forget it in a way, even though everybody did, are the weird swings. And they're the stuff that got rewarded at the Oscars. Nothing else about this got rewarded at all. Well, I mean, it's style over substance kind of directly. Like, I would ask you guys, what is this movie about? Like, what is the main arc? Like, what is the thing they have to accomplish? What is the problem they have? The plot is as thin as a comic strip. Yeah. Like, the comic strips it's based on. Yeah, and yeah. it's and saying it's, a lot it, that it's, it's like doing that in the in a movie where there is a it does the things it's supposed to do. There is a mid act or a center of the film switch where you're suddenly pivoted. Uh, Warren Beatty as Dick Tracy's in jail. Oh my God, he's been fooled into something. He's been hoodwinked. But the scale of what's important in the film really kind of falls by the wayside. You're like, all right, well, I guess we want him to end up with a kid and the lady and everything else is going to be watching stuff happen until there's a determination on if that happens. Yeah. It, it sort of mistakes, um, you know, the the character conflict with character development and and without ever having the two meet you know like the 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 core character conflict with dick tracy is just the love triangle between tess and breathless um because it's not like dick tracy doesn't want to be with breathless mahoney um so it's that's the core conflict but there's nothing revealed in his character that makes you think he's going to go one way or another other than you know he can't be with breathless because she's this vixen femme fatale mm-hmm. sort of on the other side of the the law you know so to speak um that's the only and that's nothing to do with him that's just to do with like this sort of one-dimensional yeah. i follow the rules all the time you know that's that's not really all that anyway but at least it's with, with warren Beatty. he's got the range to pull that i'd say he's got the yeah. range to pull that off pretty convincingly yeah I, I, yeah frankly like I agree. I agree. And, 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 and I'll say this, like in terms of the plot, everything, like, again, I like some of the villain performances in particular. I think they're hammy enough to be fun in particular Al Pacino, like Al Pacino in the nineties, like he did a lot of like big swings For sure. here. Yeah. It's like, what else are you going to do when you look like that? Like, this is what, you know, this is the perfect role for the kind of big ass Al Pacino energy. Um, I will say, when I described the plot, you probably found me meandering a little bit. Like, there are parts of this that are like, uh, I, I can barely keep straight in my head what happened when. And the blank as a character confuses the shit out of me, because, like, she helps Tracy. <laughs> then she goes to Big Boy and does the Joker, like, I'll kill the Batman thing. And then she frames him. And then she frames Big Boy. And then at the end, she st- goes back to Tracy and is like, I actually want to work with you. And it's like, what the fuck are you doing? I don't understand what this plan is. Yeah. yeah when I said her, I, her, her arc was more interesting. It was simply because it was more confusing to a degree yeah. where I was like, oh, okay, there's questions I could ask after this. But because you said the thing about uh, imagining an alternate world where this was ultra serious, I'd like to ask you guys this. How would you fix this movie? Uh, what would you do to make this palatable? Because uh, for me, it's, it's a little dull. I mean, it, it would be useful if you gave uh, some humanity to Dick Tracy outside of just following the rules. I mean, even his relationship with the kid is more of a... Well, I mean, maybe I, I'm okay with the cartoon aesthetic of the movie. Uh, I, what I'm not okay with is the cartoon aesthetic of the dialogue you know where it is just no subtext everybody says exactly what they think there's no yeah. mystery yeah. there's something to dig too deep but again i mean do you, this movie was kind of marketed to kids you know i mean it was sort of I mean, teenagers it, feels, it feels like the batman you know? tv show a little bit like it's got that same Funny level of arc that. and stuff yeah. Funny you should mention that because uh, Danny Elfman famously did the 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 theme song for it, at least the 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 not Sondheim songs, um, 
and uh, did not like working with Warren Beatty. Called him crazy, which I'm not surprised to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, that that happens a lot. It seems like ask Gene Hackman. Um, hmm. The, um, but I do think it's interesting because Danny Helfman's uh, longtime partner and composer is a woman named Shirley Walker, and she's the one who did the music for Batman the Animated Series, and she did the com- the composing on this one and included working with Sondheim. So good for her. Um, you know, I, that's why, you know, Stephen Soundheim's um, songs in this one are awesome. They are, for a guy like me who's not big into musicals, but the way this movie does it, it's more like the 1930s, you know, Busby Bixby sort of stuff is, where it's more like is a it, is it visual montage. Scenes? Yeah, the uh, singing and dancing. There's a both multiple. Of the, both of the breathless scenes. There's one that's like, we're back in business, which is like a montage yeah. of the mob plays yeah. over it there's a couple others i think he wrote five songs yeah and like the one where uh manny Batank and madonna are sitting by the piano i think he wrote that one too um yeah, yeah so like it, those are really good the danny elfman score is batman almost mm-hmm. by the numbers it is batman and do i think that's his fault i don't i think he had commands you know you know that batman movie you did do that you know, because to do that, because I'm not going to lie, when I was a kid and the 1989 boot me came out, my favorite part was the Batman, was the Danny Elfman Batman theme. That was, I mean, when I was a little kid in my little Batman pajamas, I would literally rewind the opening credits just so I could hear uh, Danny Elfman's score again. That's how much I loved it. And then you go on to Dick Tracy and it is almost the same. Uh, so I don't know if that's Elfman's fault. I mean, he does have a type in a lot of his compositions but i do think that everybody from disney to warren Beatty said you know that batman thing do that no no it's not enough like batman do batman yeah it didn't really seem like it went with the movie exactly because it had a lot of like when batman whenever that big music's happening there's big stuff happening on screen it's like oh my god the batmobile's going up the side of a building or there's something exploding and in this one it was usually uh the joker's got a gun that's like 20 feet long yeah (laughs) <laughs> or in this one, they, they wander in and it's just like, oh, the, it's a guy at a table. He's got a weird face. They're all getting shot. Um, and none it, of the, the deaths the, really know, mattered unless it mattered no. to the plot. Like this was very much like so, Stormtrooper, like gunfire everywhere until something happens in the plot. You need someone to actually die. Yeah. I mean, Flattop and Itchy well, meet their end so unceremoniously that yeah, like, it, you barely notice it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there is one, I think, conceptually... The bath is pretty, pretty gnarly for a kid, for a movie aimed at kids this age. Like the idea of like literally dumping somebody full of cement and throwing them in the ocean still alive is pretty, I think that one's pretty rough. Yeah, but that was also something that was common in the parlance at the time. Like sleeping with the fishes was like a, mm-hmm. an in joke. Like everybody would make that joke when talking about like, you know, gangster films and gangsters and stuff like that. Sure, but again, um, you're like, are you making a kids movie or or or, or age? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it, it is it, kind of a hostile moment. It, it, <laughs> it's a it little does intense. sneak its way in there because you don't actually see any violence. It's all no. in your imagination a little bit. So as a kid, you're like, well, that's uh, okay. You know, bring on the 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 colorful costumes again. You know, and and that's why I don't know. I I i grew up loving this movie i really did i love this movie i I was always a sucker for these gangster movies i love the nicknames i love you know like i've always been uh a sucker for it and when i was a kid this may have been the first kind of foray into like 30s gangster films uh that i didn't even know i was being acclimated to so i give ward Beatty a little bit of credit for that um but that's why i think <laughs> the difference here's the difference for that i think what would i change in this movie I think the difference between this movie and the other two movies that we watched, um, and I think the difference between what Disney wanted and what Warren Beatty wanted is prevalent. Whereas I think Warren Beatty wanted to make a good movie, and I think Disney wanted to make a successful movie. Sure. Um, so it's kind of walking that line of like, Warren Beatty is wrestling control of this movie to just make it as stylistic and as kind of out there as he can but disney's there trying to pump the marketing and the toys and the mcdonald's and the costumes and all that stuff and none of it 
like really paid so much to the point to where uh you know they released the toy of the blank and you could take the mask off and reveal it's a madonna and totally spoil the movie um and in fact so much so that, that fucking action figure is like a collectible now because they had to pull it because they were going to spoil the movie um wow so that's uh, that's the difference and, and we think about the previous two movies we watched too i mean both of those movies were not designed to be good movies those are designed to be successful movies sure this was kind of walking that line of like i'm gonna make a good movie and hopefully disney makes some money if not oh well because warren Beatty was sued uh after this movie was made for withholding profits to producers um and and I don't know the outcome of that court, but like this was a contentious relationship. Yeah, I mean that's the classic thing of like um, whether you get points uh, before or after the taxes have come out, just due to the fact it's Hollywood or it's uh, what do they call it? Uh, Hollywood uh, taxes or Hollywood income? Um, I can't remember right. the term they always say. But you, you know what I'm saying? Blame, in a way. Sure. In a way, you kind of blame Iger and Katzenberg anyway. I mean, they spent as much money on the marketing as they did on the movie. Um, that's sort of, I mean, that's typical nowadays, sure. But it like, that's sort of on you then. Like, yeah, it's kind of funny that like you remember this so fondly. Like for me, I, I don't believe I, I've never seen you guys this have never seen this before right? this. No. Not for me. Wow. Uh, I mean, like I said, I, as a kid, I no, was, I, I was. I, a while back, I heard some of the crazy things about the making of this movie, and I was like, you know what? I am interested in in seeing what that's about uh, as a result of some stuff I'd heard, incidentally. I don't know. Mostly about I, I the would, making of. I was 10 when this movie came out, so for me, like, it completely missed me. Like, I didn't care about um, gangsters and stuff, but it was also before I had discovered girls. So the Madonna stuff in this movie was just... And I didn't really pay attention, and I was like, oh, I don't really dig this. Um, but it's also a solid 53% on Rotten Tomatoes. So I think this one, you might be remembering this one as a better reception from your own childhood. I think this one's still kind of bombed. Absolutely. Did it actually make its money back? One. It did make its money back. It just didn't do super great. They just spent okay. too much on the marketing and they didn't, that, that's, they, it wasn't as successful as Batman. That's, I mean, that was what the number was and it never reached that threshold. Oh, I mean, it was, was one of the bigger movies that came out in the 90s. I mean, it was, it was a huge movie. So, like, and it, I will it, say, returning to what I said earlier on the podcast, it was, you know, I did not, this, there are things I could have picked as failed franchise starters that could have been ringers. I did not pick this as a ringer. The fact that it's 53%, like, not fresh, only works because the other two movies we watched are, like, 13 and 16%. Yeah. 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 It's like, uh, what size of fair, Vegemite do you want to have to, to choke fair, down I, on, a, on a cracker? I, I, I mean... <laughs> Guys, when Borf announced this scene, I did fucking warn you that like we might be in for some pain. Yeah, um, oh, and, for sure. And 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 even Dick Tracy, like you say, I mean, I watch but, it as an adult now, and yeah, it doesn't land like it did, but I'm still sort of like, yeah, it's it's fine. I, I don't I don't actually I will say about this though, just speaking of the round as a whole. This was I'm glad because I, I feel like a movie like The Mummy, first of all, feels like a kind of movie that under other circumstances we would never discuss. And it's a kind of movie that fully exists. And I think it's worth covering at least one of these things that's like so made by committee, made by like the, the higher ups at the studio, just because it is a thing. It's a real phenomenon and we have to look at it at least once. Right. And then yeah. the other two picks, I got to say. They're interesting. Like they're not, you know, there is there is interesting stuff in both of these picks. We so I'm glad we like here here's how our I, comfort zone and, and talked about some weird weird shit. Yeah, yeah. I'm not to not to harp too much on it, but I, I I'm kind of going off of that jive there because like the way I compared this whole round was like the mummy was like a roller coaster ride I don't ever want to go on again. Uh, Howard the Duck was like visiting a museum exhibit where you're like I'll be damned. You know, like it was more like, oh, what they did do that, didn't they? Um, and this movie was more like seeing my old pay playground from elementary school where I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I remember that bit. OK, yeah. So that it, it, it's it, it's been a journey. Yeah, I uh, I'm hard pressed to really have an opinion on 
the mummy at all outside of the fact that it existed <laughs> um, uh, the uh howard the duck was cool i think mostly um from the sense that it was just like seeing a car accident it was like seeing a horrible horrible car accident and going wow you really can go through a windscreen but dick tracy dick tracy's pretty okay but it's one of those movies where I was just like, man, it would have been so much more fun if it had just come out like 10 years later. They had someone else who was like younger and maybe crazier directing it. Mm. Like, it seems like a movie that was screaming out for someone really unhinged to direct it. Like, and you know, not happy with Warren Beatty. <laughs> I mean, he's fine. <laughs> But it would have been fun to have something that was just a little crazier, maybe something that had more colors to it. Like, I know he did the thing with seven <laughs> colors. And I think the yeah. seven colors thing's great, but if you're going to go for it, really nail it. Like, go for There's, something like they did on The Aviator, where they did, like, so, the three color strip color thing. But that was after they had digital intermediates, of course, which didn't exist in this. It wouldn't exist for, I think, another six years the, until Pleasantville came out. The the So I'll just... Uh, the, th the thing where I first... Uh, got a bunch of information about this movie and how weird the backstory was. There's a uh, video essayist named Patrick Willems who put out a video sometime back about this movie. And that's kind of where I like was like, I got to see that at some point. And this was an excuse to do so. And one of the Fair things enough. he said with that he compared this movie to where it was trying to emulate the style of its source material so directly. And so, so, you know, uh, purely um, that he thinks, and I have not seen this movie, though I know it has big fans. Uh, and I've definitely seen frames or scenes from this movie, and I know it's stylized all to hell. Uh, the one he compares it to, uh, aside from Sin City, actually, is um, Speed Racer, which is mm. absolutely, like, colorful mm. as shit. It's mm -hmm. like an anime style. And I do think that this would have probably benefited from, like, waiting 10 years for the technology a little bit to come around for yeah. some of like the, the shots to look a little a little yeah. more vibrant and a little more cart like both real and cartoon at the same time yeah I and also I think you know take another whack at the character Dick Tracy himself you know yeah. like make him some, a some little more yeah. a, well just like he needs to make a decision and he never really does he the decisions are always the people around him making decisions for him i mean it's, yeah, yeah you um, can give him a personal a little bit more of a personal stake in the right. story instead of I just mean, being like did yeah, he it's really, my job did he really choose breathless mahoney or did breathless mahoney accidentally just get killed you know like that's there's no real choosing here it's just like well she's dead now so the choice is made for me um, I mean, maybe anyway, maybe that yeah, is how we ended up with this movie. Maybe Dick Tracy really is Warren Beatty, and there were just no decisions made at any point in the movie. Well, if you watch that fucking Dick Tracy special, that's what that is. Except for style choices. My yeah. God. Ugh, Jesus. Um, and and <sighs> this is what I love about it, too, is that, you know, in that stupid special... He like bitches about Warren Beatty's like choices of all the colors and stuff, but he's in there in the yellow jacket. He's wearing the yellow jacket. He could have just come in there with a normal fedora and a fucking raincoat. I mean, yeah, anyway. But. Um, so I don't know, guys. I guess we got to get to should the we, voting since we've already kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess I kind of was that our final thoughts. I guess it kind of was. Yeah, it kind of was. I mean, like I said, I I guess the only thing I have to add is that like. I, I only like it as an adult for what it is, and that's a return to the nostalgia of my childhood. Sure. Um, so it, I guess it's not that surprising how forgotten it is, um, considering how bold some of the choices were for the time. Um, you know, I know the color is a dividing line here, but I, I sort of enjoyed the way, considering that this is before digital intermediate and it's all matte paintings and stuff, it kind of works still. It looks yeah. good. I mean, I, I, I like the way it, yeah. it splashes in yeah. there like a noir yeah. film, but with this color palette. I mean, it, it, Warren Beatty gave this DP the choice of colors and he ran with it. And it was like, fine, we'll just put it fucking everywhere then. Even down yeah. to the production design, you know, red phones and, you know, like yellow Again, fire hydrants. Specifically, he was like, you can use the seven colors the comic was printed in and that's it. Right. So, um, yeah, I guess I agree. Like, I think that there are things about this movie that I do find really interesting and like 
some of the like the style choices, the the way it came into being, um, the way that Warren Beatty holds on to these rights and made that weird fucking special, like that stuff is very fun to me he's, and very funny. Yeah, he's just uh, holding and it a couple out of performances. Spite. Yeah, like yeah. obviously, I think Pacino is like the most fun out of the cast here. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, out of the big the big names, anyway. Um, no offense to that kid from Hook and can't hardly wait. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, uh, but then there's also like the the plot is meandering and mishmash. The character motivations are barely extant. Uh, I don't give a fuck about Trish Trueheart, Trish Trueheart, or whatever the fuck her name is. Uh, yeah. Uh, so it does like it's interesting. It falls down so fundamentally, but there's enough interesting things on the edges that I can't totally write it off. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of same for me. Uh, I think Victorio Storaro's work is impeccable as always, but uh, outside of the technical stuff in this, like it looks pretty, it sounds okay, stuff does happen, the makeup looks okay, even though it's a horrifying choice that I think is such a sore thumb to me, I couldn't get into the rest of the movie. But, yeah, it's it's not something I would suggest someone to watch outside of like, you know, um, intellectual or academic interest at this point. Or in my case, nostalgia. Yeah, because uh, I was five when this movie came out and I loved it. Sure, um, sure. <laughs> so and, it, that, and, it, and it is. You're right. I think this movie is really forgotten. Like, I don't think people talk about it ever. Howard the Duck still has this weird reputation as being like this monstrosity. This thing. I don't think people, no one remembers this thing. Yeah, Warren Beatty's going to make sure of it. Um, well, you guys, for the first time ever, we're, we're stingy on our points. Um, we've each still got a bonus point to give out, so we've got 12 points to divvy out for final voting. Okay. Um, so uh, go ahead and uh, get your placards ready, and we'll get down to business. Okay. <laughs> this is a painful vote, guys. This is yeah. this is a painful yeah. vote. <sighs> I think it'll be yeah, a tight it's hard. It's just so hard. Yeah. Hard it's like <laughs> like what temperature of tap water do you like the most, guys? <laughs> do, you, do you like it hot and steamy or do you like it room temperature do you like it a little bit cold let, fresh let from the tap slightly revised I, 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 I gotta I gotta, I gotta I gotta I gotta slightly revise I mean I'm you know it's uh I can't I can't I can't 12 divided by three what do you do <laughs> oh okay all righty, I'm ready, I guess. All right, all which right. one are we starting with? Going to do okay. them in order? We got to start with we the are starting. We all righty. Okay, hold up. Let me get my uh, math, my, my abacus ready. Okay. Okay, so Chris Boreff for The Mummy. What's your point total? What are you giving it? I'm giving it a four. Wow. Uh, I am giving The Mummy a two. Uh, I'll come in right in between you two and give the mummy a three. All right, so that gives the mummy nine points. Uh, Boref. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Remarkable. Remarkable. (laughs) I cannot wait wait to see what this next movie gives me. Quack, quack, Boref. Howard the Duck, what do you got? I am giving Howard the Duck a three. And uh, it, I, 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 I'm giving Howard the Duck a four, and it definitely did not I, earn I thought it. about it. I think I have to give Howard the Duck a four as well. Okay. I think I give it a four as well. So. All right. So has Mummy good. is out. We are now at 11 points to beat. I don't think this is going to be close. Chris <laughs> Boroff, calling Chris Boroff. What do you got for Dick Tracy? Gave Dick Tracy a five. 
Go suck give, an egg, Tracy. There you go. <laughs> I, I I had to give Dick Tracy a six because I'm still a little kid at heart. I also gave Tracy a five. I also gave okay. Tracy a five. So Zach wins with Dick Tracy everywhere I look. It's Tracy, Tracy, Tracy. And Zach wins the theme with Dick Tracy. Well done. Well done indeed. Yeah, that was a tough vote. I'm, I'm surprised. I'm really shocked about the mummies total. Nine points to the mummy. That's amazing. Remarkable. I mean, it really just got there by being the most basic pick. Sure. Sure. It's, and there's just, there's so much not great in this round that. <laughs> and I, I get in, why. In, you in, another round, the t- in, the, in, in another round, the mummy would have gotten like three points. Maybe not. Like if there were, yeah, if yeah. It were possible to not get. I don't know if you can give zeros on this. I don't know if we've discussed but th- that. But then when you sack it up against Howard the Duck, you know, like what? What do you? What do you really do? I, I get why Bora yeah, rated it lower than than the Mummy because again, Howard the Duck was painful at points. You know, you're like, oh yeah. God, gouge my eyeballs out. Uh, the Mummy was just boring. You know. Yeah. Um, anyway, so that leaves us with once again Zach Powers with 16 points runs oh. away with it. Uh, Zach, what are we doing? So, Russell was talking about nostalgia, and frankly, I also think that there's an imbalance on this podcast. Uh, you guys, you guys went to your fancy-ass film school and all your fancy-ass fancy. film terms, watched <laughs> your fancy-ass, presti- yeah. uh, you know, yeah. pretentious we- film school movies. CFS <laughs> is the anchor of the top 50 list. We're right there at number I, 50, anchor. I just, I got a different degree that's useless from you guys. And so I don't have uh, all the film knowledge. So I'm going to even, I decided to even the playing skills and take you back to a time before you had your film degrees. I'm going to take you back to movies you loved in high school. Your high school favorites. Um, yeah. Uh, absolutely. And we're going to see how your taste holds up. Good because, Lord. Uh, that is going to be the real, the real test. How generic <laughs> were you? How does your taste hold up? That's ah. uh, I think that's going to be fun. Um, <laughs> we're going to be watching I'll Titanic. With, uh, <laughs> so uh, sophomore year, I realized I could like big boy adult films. Um, and so I started doing the thing that any good person grows out of uh, around the time they become a freshman in college but many people don't but uh but my 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 shitty young film phrase clearly started with reservoir dogs it simply did and so uh, i think that that's uh that's gonna have to be my pick i think we'd have to go with reservoir dogs okay okay so i get it it's uh, all right it's not just the default ones you like it's the the ones that give you more a sense of prestige. I don't know. I think you could determine whatever your it was whatever your favorite movie like was at a given. If you have a time where you can remember, there's like three or four movies I could have picked that at a given time in high school I probably would have said were my favorite. I just thought, uh, well, like me and my friends would go to fucking speech and debate tournaments in like suits that looked like the Reservoir Dog suits, and I'm like, fuck it, I'm gonna go with that one because it <laughs> seems like for a minute I was clearly into that movie too much. So awesome. Whatever that means to you, whatever that means to you, if it's great, if, hey, maybe it's fucking great and you just loved a great movie in high school and whatever. It's going to be strange because I know what my movie is and to piggyback off of yours is going to be kind of odd, but that's okay. It'll work. I'll make it work. <laughs> um, okay. Well, that will be fun to harken back. You guys are already made me harken back to five years old, so I guess I better go back to the age of puberty um, mm-hmm. and, and you know, because that's, you know, definitely Dick Tracy is a pre-pubescent movie. There's not a lot of, like, you know, like, it's not, I mean, yeah, you're you're a little, you feel funny things about Breathless, but, you know, you, you didn't really care. You wanted to get to Flat Top and Itchy doing their gun-toting sure. thing. Yeah, yeah, um, we know that the sexy scenes between Flat Top and Itchy are the most important ones for a young <laughs> pre-pubescent boy. Uh, <laughs> the romance, yeah, the cut romance story between Flat Top and Itchy. Uh, Just two misshapen really faces pre- A precursor to Brokeback in many ways. Too controversial for the time. Um, okay. But, but, um, but very forward-thinking and how handsome everyone involved in the sex was. Yeah. <laughs> Oh boy! 
uh, just like Mary, Larry McMurtry would have wanted. Um, so I guess on that note, uh, this has been the movie trap. Thank you so much for listening and tune in next time for a brand new theme with a brand new round and a brand new movie, except not for us because we're going back to the high school days. Tune in for reservoir dogs. Uh, thanks for listening. I've been Russell Carlson for my co-host Zach powers. Uh, Fuck it. I can't remember a Dick Tracy line. The bat. <laughs> <laughs> and for my partner, Chris Boroff. Uh, breathless, please get off my desk. This is uncomfortable for me. This is an office. See ya, everybody. <laughs> All righty. Have a good <laughs> okay. night. And as we always say on the movie trip, and we could say again for this movie, as well as Warren Beatty being too old for uh, Madonna, Diane Ladd is too young to be Chevy Chase's mom. Yeah, that's the movie trap promise. You were very gracious, but I didn't. I didn't mean to be impertinent. I, uh, I'm going to be 107 in no. July. Yes. No. Yeah. 107. 107. That is amazing. Yeah. Do you have some secret you can share with everybody? SP. Small portions. Small portions and and exercise mm-hmm. and um, of course uh, pomegranate. Once in a while, you know, I'll have a blueberry. Mm-hmm. <laughs>